Welcome to Centre Church. We hope you enjoyed this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. Weeks of recap is about to be hit, you're going to be hit with. I hope you're ready for that. If you've not been here, you're about to hear it in the next few minutes. But it, just so you know, you can catch up on our messages on YouTube, on podcasts. We record them all, and so you can listen back to them at your own leisure as well. But just as a recap, I hope you're ready for this. Week one, it's up behind me. Week one, I shared, I brought um, the introduction to this and entitled it, He Who Runs. Jonah, he rebelled against the plan and the call of the Lord. And though he confessed that he was a God-fearer, his actions revealed that he wasn't fully surrendered to God's sovereignty and will, unwilling to do what God instructed of him. There was a conflict between his confessional theology and his functional theology. He said that he believed in God, but his function and his actions declared that he didn't believe in God. He actually rebelled against God. And we too can run unwilling to fully lay down our lives for God. And the question I brought to us as a church is, are you running away from God? Are you running away from God's best for you? What is causing you to run in the other direction? In week two, Alex brought the message, God who pursues. God is always in pursuit of us. He wants us to come into relationship with him, to walk with him daily. And though we may be running in the other direction, turning our face away from God, he is actively in pursuit because his perspective is greater than our own. We may not realize it, but the current storms many of us face may be the very tools God is using to get our attention. He used a storm. In Jonah chapter 1, we read that. He used a storm. He was trying to get Jonah's attention. Now, week three, I believe it was Ruth that was sharing this. He who repents. We are only who we are because of what Christ has done. We only have this life because of what Christ has done. And however, there is a consequence to turning our face to God and going in the other direction to what he desires for us. As Ruth shared, Jonah had a rather dramatic repentance story. As she said, and I quote it again, I don't think you can get much more dramatic than a storm being chucked into the sea and a, and a big fish devouring you or swallowing you and you're caught in the belly for three days. You know, he, he was in the depths of the sea in the belly of a fish, but it brought about repentance. Him turning his attention back to God. And it brought an encounter, dramatic encounter with God. And in week four, we're shared about how God who forgives. The forgiveness of God is different to the forgiveness of man. It is long-suffering. It is patient, restorative, and empowers us to forgive others. Jonah was a mess when he came to God, when he eventually turned to God. But God still forgave him and restored him. And when Jonah was thrown up by the fish. Sounds great, doesn't it? He was thrown up ex exactly where he needed to be to do the work that God wanted him to do. And then in week five, we've got God, um, no, he who obeys. He who obeys. We were looking at why obedience is so important in our relationship with the Lord. 
And rather than being a restrictive call, it is a great call as it opens up possibility of transformation occurring not only in our lives, but all we're instructed to share the gospel with. It requires our all in all, not a half-hearted attempt. When we're called to obedience, it requires all of us to step into obedience. And then week six, last week, we looked at God who is merciful. We live upon a God who pours out grace and is to us merciful. And his mercy goes hand in hand with our response to him. Are we taking our situation seriously? The Ninevites did. They took their situation seriously when they heard the word. They came before God in prayer and fasting. They moved in collective repentance and fasting, enabling them to step into the redemptive, restorative will of God. It's a powerful encounter that we see there. And so these last two weeks, we are delving into the final chapter, Jonah chapter 4. And today we're looking at what I've entitled, He Who Is Angry. In other words, if you want to have a sub-point to this, it's focusing on the deception of our emotions. And so it's going to come up behind me. If you've got your Bibles with you, you can follow along. We're going into Jonah chapter 4. Now, just before this moment, we understood, as, as Ruth shared the passage last week, that because the Ninevites fasted and relented, it pleased God. As they repented, it pleased God, and he relented from casting judgment on them and extended mercy to them. And now this is Jonah's response. So, Clemens, if you want to put up the next slide behind me, that would be great. Jonah chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, it is not what I said when I was still at home. That was why I was so quick to flee Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about this great city? And it ends there. Very unusual way for a chapter of the Bible to end. It's not the conventional way. But we'll look at that more next week. This week, we're focusing on he who is angry. Jonah's emotions that is pre very present here. After everything 
that he had gone through, running away from God, God's pursuit resulting in a storm, Jonah being cast into the sea, swallowed by a big fish that led to his repentance and then God's forgiveness to Jonah's eventual obedience. There's a lot there, isn't there? Jonah came full circle to that place and attitude that he had on that boat in the first instance, running away from the Lord, that he was willing and wanting to die and witness or be a part of God's sovereign purpose through compassion and mercy. He couldn't take it. He couldn't take it that God was extending mercy to these people. He allowed his emotions, he allowed his anger, his displeasure, his resentment for God and the people God was showing mercy to, to cloud his thoughts, to, his, to cloud his perspective, to cloud his understanding. He was blinded by his emotions in that instant. And it's a reminder for us that we too can be blinded by our emotions and our feelings, sometimes becoming numb to what God is doing. God had a purpose and he wanted Jonah to reach out to the, to the Ninevites, to, to speak his word to them. Yet Jonah just could not take it. Scripture, when we, look, when we look to Scripture, it often draws a line between our feelings and God's truth. Now, if we want to turn to Jeremiah 17, there is a slide for this as well. Jeremiah 17, verses 9 to 10. It states this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Now, when you look in the Old Testament, you see this word heart come up a lot. And it's often used to identify the source of a person's thinking and acting. It describes the root of unconscious as well as conscious motivation. So our hearts can bring about actions and thoughts, whether or not we're aware of it or not. Yes? And our hearts, for this reason, can deceive us. Our emotions and our feelings can actually deceive us. This is why it's important to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit as he guides us with the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is a counselor given to you and I, that when he reads his, reads his words, he can enlighten us and enable us to see the truth with his word. And Jonah's feelings, his emotions were blinding him to God's restorative and redemptive heart expressed to the Ninevites. And when I looked in this chapter, I believe that there's a few pointers that we can take that can help us combat our emotions, bringing them into alignment with God's will. And so I want to share those thoughts. I wanted them to be memorable words so whenever these things arise, we can actually state these words and it can get us coming into alignment with God's will, coming into surrender to him and saying, God, your will be done. No matter what it is, your will be done. And the first one is this. Clements, if you want to put it up, it's to question it. To question it. What causes your emotions to rise? What causes your emotions to rise? Now, when I was looking up different commentaries and different 
uh, journal articles around this chapter, not a lot of people paint Jonah in a good picture here. Many stating that they see Jonah appearing especially selfish, petty, temperamental, and even downright foolish in this passage because of his emotional response to God. He wanted to see the potential enemy of Israel destroyed, hoping they would not respond to God's call of repentance. And Jonah's anger revealed his heart was not completely right with God. And what it was revealing to me was that one can do the will of God without doing it with the right attitude. And it can be true for us. When we see it in the word about God calls us to be a, a people that serve as he served. To take up our cross and follow him, to deny ourselves. And even in service in the church in different aspects or in life in general, we can do the will of God, but we can do it reluctantly. We can almost have this bit between our teeth. It's like, oh, God, I've got to do this again. Oh, I have to do that. Oh, I really don't want to do this right now. Oh, why do I have to do that? Why can't someone else do this? We can do the will of God without doing it with the right attitude. And the repentance and good deeds of the Ninevites, it pleased God. It pleased God. But what is fascinating is it displeased God's representative. In Romans 2.1, it states, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. This is what Jonah was essentially doing with the Ninevites. He, forget, he seemed to forget that prior to this moment, he had also been walking in disobedience and required God to be merciful to him. He had forgotten that or disregarded that. And when God wanted to extend the same mercy to this people, he didn't like it one bit. Forgetting that, in essence, he was like the people of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh. He had walked in the other direction, run in disobedience to God. When I look up different examples in Scripture, I'm not going to go over all of them. But you've got the example of, say, the unmerciful servant. Now, Jesus shared this parable about the unmerciful servant. We see it in Matthew 18. And um, we, we hear this parable about this king that was willing to show mercy for his servant to the debts that he had. But that servant then went out, and his servant has said, please, can you give me time to pay back your debts? He wasn't willing to extend the same mercy. I often also think of the elder brother in the prodigal son. You've got the prodigal son, this younger son that ran away with his, his share of his inheritance and wasted it all and then came back humbly to his dad who embraced him. Yet the elder brother just couldn't stand it. So I've been here, I've been serving you. Why? Why are you laying on a party for him? His father's just said, he's come home. He's come back. Surely we should rejoice with that. There's a book I read um, quite a while ago, but it's a really good book. It's called Unoffendable. 
by his, by his author called Brant Hansen. And there's a quote that I want to share with you. I think it's the next slide. And it says, In the moment, everyone's anger always seems righteous. Anger is a feeling, after all, and it sweeps over us and tells us we're being denied something we should have. It provides its own justification. But um, an emotion is just an emotion. It's not critical thinking. Anger doesn't pause. We have to stop and we have to question it. Like I said, why am I feeling this way? What is causing this to rise up within me? We have to learn to stop and question our emotions before they lead us into an action that is contrary to what God desires. We need to combat our emotions with the word of God. What does he instruct by his word? Am I walking in alignment with that? An example is Proverbs 14, 29. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. Simple instruction there. But are my actions, our emotions, are they in alignment with what we see here? And another quote just to share with you. Don't react according to your feelings. Instead, respond according to God's truth. We can very easily react out of emotion, react out of what, all these emotions that rise, but we need to respond according to how God's word instructs. Jonah knew why he was angry. He knew why he was angry. And this leads us on to the second point in that we need to confess it. The next slide. We need to confess it. Are you willing to confess your emotions to God? We have to learn to be honest with God with how we're feeling. We're angry, we're disappointed, we're harboring resentment. Come to God and confess it. And I want to give Jonah some credit, whereas some other theologians and commentaries and that don't give him a lot of credit. To his credit, he told God why he was angry. He told God why he was angry. He was angry at God's forgiveness, at God's mercy. The one who had been shown mercy was displeased when it was shown to others. And he told God exactly that. I am angry, God. I don't like what you are doing. He was honest with God. He did not murmur or complain about God behind God's back or in silence on his own, rather told him directly how he was feeling. And I think, and I, uh, this is something I, even I have had to walk through. Many of us may try to hide our true feelings from God. Not you know, allowing those feelings, those emotions to harbor within us, to build up within us, and not confessing it towards God. It's almost stating, I'm going to live in this emotional state because I have a right to feel this way. I remember I had that myself. I have a right to be angry. This is not okay. But God's question to Jonah challenges this thought process. Have you any right to be angry? You see, 
Yes, we can say Jonah was rebellious. We can say this. He did not share God's merciful heart or compassion. We can say this because we see it throughout the narrative. Yet, he still had a personal relationship with God where he could honestly tell God how he felt. Inviting God into the process. By him confessing how he was feeling to God, it allowed God to then respond. And the question for you is, are you inviting God into the process? Are you being honest with God with how you feel? You see, when we look in Jonah, when we look at his reason, we see, we see clearly why, what caused him to flee in the first place. He said it to God. His motive in fleeing to Tarshish now is abundantly clear. He was afraid the Ninevites would repent and that God would be merciful to this ancient enemy of God's people. And by, by opposing the Israelites, their enemies were also opposing God. And he's saying, this is why I'm angry. They're opposing you. They're not following you. They're rebellious, but they're also our enemy. So why are you being merciful to them? God, you are compassionate and merciful. I don't... You can see... I, could, I can really relate with Jonah here. I can see that anger building. I just... I don't get it. Why are you doing this, God? Our emotions, especially our negative emotions, can often rise from a place of not getting what we think we deserve or situations not turning out as we expected or God responding or acting in a way we don't expect him to respond to act. And confessing our emotions to him are us being honest with God how we feel, even if we disagree with him. He wants us to have that relationship with him. Well, we come to him. He's the first point of call. I'm angry. God, I'm going to tell you I'm angry. God, I'm disappointed. I'm going to tell you I'm disappointed. I'm not going to allow it to harbor. I'm going to confess it to you straight away, invite you into the process because I don't get it. But what I find amazing when I look at this, this account in Jonah, Jonah was criticizing God for the good qualities that he recognized in God. You read that there when he was praying to God. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. These are good qualities of God that he was stating. But it was almost as if Jonah wished God was not so good. That's amazing to me. He's like, this is who you are. I knew you were like this. But it's almost like I'm saying, I wish in this situation you weren't like this. He was, I think he was inadvertently wanting God to act in a way that he thought he should. This is how he should act. And this is the great danger that we can have when we confess our emotions to God. It's important to confess our emotions to God, but how we do it is also important. Pray, because sometimes we can pray in such a way to try and align God with our way of thinking rather than aligning ourselves with his word. 
And when you look at Jonah's prayers, there's two prayers you pray. One in Jonah 2 when he was in the belly of a fish and one here. The first prayer was positive and praiseful. He recognized who God is and he praised him in the belly of the fish, coming back to repentance. But here, Jonah was defensive. Defensive of his anger. Like in the second part, when God questioned him a second time, do you have any right to be angry at the vine? He said, I do. I do have a right to be angry. When we look to 1 Peter 3, verse 9, it says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And one thing I want us to always realize, and we must always come back to this place, is that we were once enemies of God, but have received mercy from God, which is continuous and new every day. We were once enemies, but now we're not. We're coming to right standing with him. He extended his mercy to us. And there are different ways we can respond we can live on one of three levels. Now, I don't recommend the first level, and, if, and you'll see why. The first level is depending on our emotional and spiritual state, we can return evil for good. That's one way that we can respond. The second is we can return good for good and evil for evil. This is often the human level. This is why you see, it's like, if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. It's justice. Or we can return good for evil, which is the divine level. And Jesus is the perfect example of that approach. How are we responding? See, confessing our feelings to God, it's not a weakness. I think, it, I think going off script, I think in... Society today, that confessing our emotions or is sometimes seen as a weakness. You have to show yourself to be strong. You have to show yourself to be tough. You have to show yourself that you've got it all together. Confessing your emotions is not a weakness. It's a strength. It's actually omitting our need for God and allowing him to be honest with us with where we are at with him. God was honest in his reply to Jonah. He was honest. So the question remains, are you willing to confess your emotions to God, even if it means receiving correction? That is a question. So we've got question it. We have to question it. When our emotions rise, question it. What is causing these emotions to rise? Secondly, confess it. Confess it to God. Invite him into the process. Allow him to minister to you. Allow him, he may need to bring about correction or align you to what his word instructs. And then the third thing, which is really important, is we are to surrender it. Are you willing to lay down your emotions to God? Are you willing to let go? Now, if I'm honest, this is where I think Jonah fell short. 
He fell short of God's best. He was unwilling to lay down his emotions. And God's grace, God was still gracious to Jonah, still compassionate, patient with him, given instruction to him, even through this whole, what you see, even what God did with the vine, trying to bring instruction to him to make him understand. But God's grace revealed Jonah's prejudice, his unwillingness to surrender his emotions, blinded and prevented him from seeing what God was concerned about. God proceeded to teach Jonah his ways and to confront him with his attitude problem through the vine. That was his way that he wanted to bring instruction to him. And two times God questioned Jonah. I've already said this, but I'm saying it again. Two times Jonah brought correction. Have you any right to be angry? The first time there was no response from Jonah. The second time, Jonah's response reveal, he reveals that he feels that he knows best how God works, and he even disregards God's attempt to lead him out of his viewpoint. I do have a right to be angry. I would rather die. That's a powerful statement right there. Jonah would rather die in his negative emotional state than allow God or bear to see God bring about restoration. And the important lesson for you and I is it, it is our job to follow God. It's not our job to understand God. When he calls to follow, we follow. We may not know it all. I mean, how can we know it all? God is infinite. We are not. Our minds are limited. There's only so much we can comprehend. Our job is to follow, not to understand the directions of God as he guides our lives and ministries and our work for him. And yes, we may have thoughts, feelings, emotions that rise through our lack of understanding, but this doesn't justify us acting out from these emotions, allowing those emotions to dictate how we respond. In James chapter 1, verse 19 to 20, it says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. We should always be quick, ready, and eager to listen to God. To his word even ready to listen to each other. Again, I want to share another quote with you. Again, from Brian Hansen. And he says, We all think that we deserve to carry anger, but it will destroy us unless we let it go. We have to deny ourselves, die to ourselves, and surrender ourselves. Are you willing to surrender your emotions to God? So to release yourself from thinking, acting, walking away, contrary to God's best. We have to question our emotions when they arise. Is this right, what I'm feeling or thinking? We have to confess it 
to God. Allow him into the process. Allow him to minister to us, to draw us back to his word and give instruction through his word. Am I in alignment to what God is teaching in his word? Or am I off that narrow way? And are we willing to surrender it to God? To not allow those emotions to rise up, to dwell within us, to essentially cause us to act out of that emotional state. But we're willing to let it all go to God and say, God, I may not understand, but you are still God. I may not fully get it. You may not have acted in a way that I thought you were going to act. This situation turned out differently to what I was praying for and believing for, but you are still God. And in you I trust. In you I hope. In you I hold on to. As I'm drawing this to a close, I want to bring us to another passage in Ephesians. Ephesians 4, 25 to 27. And it says that, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, we see... Even in this passage, there are times when we can expect emotions to rise. It's, like, it's not saying that you won't be angry, but it's saying there will be times when anger will be apparent or other emotions will be apparent. But it's important not to allow it to dwell but come to that place of surrender so that the enemy doesn't use that emotion against us. This is why I say question it, confess it, Surrender it. Question it, confess it, surrender it. And just to bring a bit of light to this, we are not immune, even as leaders in the church, we are not immune to these things. And I had a situation a few months ago where anger rose. Anger, frustration, tiredness. The worship team, as soon as I say this, the worship team, you're going to know what I'm going to be sharing about. Um, but I had a particularly heavy day in the office. You know, there are, you know, in church, there's more than just Sundays. We're doing work in the office. And I had a particularly heavy day, feeling a bit tired, prepared for the evening worship team meeting with the band and everything else to go plan a session and everything. And it was almost at that point that any little thing was enough to turn me over the edge. I think we've all been there sometimes when there's just a little thing and that's it. And it was no fault to them because understandably they've had long days at work and they were tired and they just needed some time together and fellowship. And I was just starting to work on new material, trying to go through the program. And it reached a point when I was just like, guys, you're not listening. You're not paying attention. We're on our phones. We're just not, we're not here. We're not present. I was like, I've had enough. We're done. Meeting's over. I walked out, slammed the door behind me. Not my greatest moment. We're not immune to these emotions rising up. And I had to go home. I went home, and I knew straight away, thinking, Tom, oh, Tom, oh, Tom, why did you do that? Why did you do that? 
And luckily, I, I um, was having a phone call with my fiance that night, and we were having, we had a, a video call, and I shared with her, and we prayed together. And I came back to this. I questioned it. Why did I feel that way? What caused those emotions to rise? It wasn't what happened with the worship team. It's everything that came up to that point. I confessed it to God. I said, God, teach me. Show me what I must do. Refine me. This is not how I want to act as a leader. This is not how I want to be. And I realized I've, I've allowed my emotions to get the better of me. And I cast it. I, and the, bless them, the worship team were at the end of that tether. <laughs> but then I surrendered it. I didn't let it dwell. I gave it to God. But I wanted to do one step further. I then messaged every single worship team member that was present that day. The next day, I messaged each member that was present in that meeting. And I said to them, this is what happened. I don't condone this. This is not how I want to lead. Will you forgive me? Can we move forward? And I appreciate their responses. They were so gracious back to me, saying, we get it. We understand. We know you've, you've got a lot that you're doing. We, we fully get it. It's, we're surprising. We've never seen you act that way. I'm like, tell me about it. But it's important. Question it. Confess it. Surrender it. Jonah knew why he was angry. He confessed it to God. But like I said, where he fell short, where I believe he fell short, was he wasn't willing to surrender it to God. He couldn't let go of the fact that God was being showing mercy to the Ninevites. God's plan is greater than we can perceive, think, or imagine. And I believe... If we're honest with ourselves, we can allow our emotions to get the better of us. Our thoughts, our feelings. It could be anger, as I focus specifically on in this message today, but it could be resentment. It could be frustration. Maybe you're questioning God, saying, God, why did you do that? I don't understand it. Why are you acting in this way? This is not, this is not how you should do it. I thought you were going to do this instead. And maybe these emotions have arisen. And maybe they've been dwelling. And maybe they've built up. That we are allowing them to almost blind us to what God is actually doing. His plans far exceed what we can think or imagine. And he just wants us to be a part of that. We have a part to play in that. But we have to be willing not to allow these things, like our emotions, to get the better of us. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For any more information or to find out more of what we do as a church, you can contact us at info at or check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.